The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with Back in Action after a long holiday weekend and its first down day in six. Futures are pointing to more pressure at the open. And China cutting its key benchmark lending rate in an effort to keep its uneven recovery afloat. This is Goldman Sachs joins the chorus of banks cutting their outlooks for the world's second largest economy. And trimming in China but bullish on Japan as Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway boosts its bets on nearly half a dozen Japanese trading firms. Plus, a surprising C-suite shakeup over at Alibaba. And then later on in the show, we're live at the Paris Air Show where Airbus just inked the biggest aircraft order in history. It is Tuesday, June the 20th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures with the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq coming off their first losing session in six. Taking a look right now, we are seeing futures under pressure. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down just about a half a percent. The Dow Jones looks like it would open up about 125 to 130 points lower if it were to open right now. Of course, we've got a few hours before the opening bell. All right, we're also checking the bond market right now, looking at yields. We always begin with the benchmark 10-year at 3.78, pretty much the same level we've seen it at for the last week or so. Still an elevated yield on the two-year note at 4.72, something we continue to watch. Also looking at energy, specifically oil. We always begin with the U.S. benchmark of WTI. Right now, back above 70 bucks a barrel. Fractionally lower right now, but really important part here is 71.65 a movement to the upside we've been seeing in recent days. Brent crude at 76.65. Seeing some different moves for that, up three quarters of a percent. Natural gas making the biggest moves, up one and a quarter percent. Also looking at the crypto market, we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether this morning, both taking a move to the upside. Bitcoin up just about a half a percent. Ether up a quarter of a percent. All right, now to our top story. China adding to a recent wave of easing from its central bank, now cutting its key lending benchmark rates for the first time since August of 2022 to help boost its uneven economic recovery. Now, this comes as Goldman Sachs becomes the latest Wall Street firm to cut its growth outlook for China. Now, 5.4 percent for 2023, previously 6 percent. Eunice Yoon joins us now with more from Beijing. Eunice. Thanks, Frank. Well, it was a widely expected move, just not as aggressive as some had hoped for. Uh, The five-year benchmark, uh, the loan loan prime rate or the five-year LPR, which is a benchmark for mortgages, was cut by 10 basis points rather than 15 basis points. And that disappointed the market and really fed into uh, concerns that the authorities here, though they are increasingly concerned, as they've indicated um, at a meeting last Friday, about the economy, that they're not really willing to uh, shell out or at least uh, flesh out any a detail for a more a grand stimulus plan. So Goldman, for example, downgraded its outlook for China on concerns about that limited stimulus. Uh, today, HSBC 
cut as well, uh, going from uh, uh, 6.3% for 2023 to 5.3%. It cited a property slump as well as the low uh, business as well as consumer confidence in the country. That also joins other Wall Street banks that cut their forecast for China after the May data really disappointed and, and worried people that the economy is just uh, being hit by so much pessimism. This is Bank of America, JPM, as well as UBS. Frank? So, Eunice, this easing by the PBOC comes right after a high-stakes meeting with President Xi. U.S. tensions, they appear to be weighing on China's growth. Are we seeing some easing when it comes to those tensions as well? I think there's definitely been some easing uh, with uh, Blinken's trip. It has at least... Uh, set the stage for a reprieve, though for how long is still up in the air. Uh, what was interesting and encouraging about uh, Secretary of State Blinken's visit here is that he did, um, after uh, two days of meetings with Chinese officials, um, end up speaking to President Xi Jinping himself. This was a 35-minute uh, one-on-one, and um, both sides, according to um, the readouts from the U.S. and China, had agreed that it was a time to try to stabilize the relations, which uh, Blinken later told reporters uh, really was at a very, very low point. So uh, because of that, uh, we see that this is easing tensions. In fact, the, the press today has all been about um, how this is going to be a positive step for both countries. Uh, the uh, foreign ministry has been quoting uh, President Xi as saying that he was pleased that there was some progress made on specific issues. Uh, there was no detail on what those specific issues were. Uh, but the ministry did say that uh, China was uh, very much willing to work on Say, for example, uh, flights and improving the flights between the U.S. and China. And also Secretary Blinken had said that there was a, a discussion about a working group for, um, to stop fentanyl ingredients from heading to the United States. So some, so some uh, smaller, I guess, uh, maybe lower-hanging fruit issues being addressed, still not uh, the structural um, issues that need to be addressed, though uh, Secretary Blinken did say that um, this at least paves a way for other officials to uh, visit China as well. And as you know, the Treasury Secretary, as well as the Commerce Secretary, have indicated that uh, they'd be interested in coming here in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I think the consensus is we need to see a de-risking, but certainly not a decoupling. Eunice, thank you very much. Great reporting as always. All right. China also looking to restore its ties with Europe. A key member of President Xi's inner circle making his way to Germany today. It's the first in-person meeting between top leaders from the two countries since 2018. Our Juliana Tattlebaum now joins us from London with more on this story. Juliana. Frank, good morning. This is certainly a big story in Germany. Leader Olaf Scholz is hosting Chinese Premier Li Chang at the Chancellery this morning in Berlin. The meeting comes ahead of the seventh joint German-Chinese government consultations, and it's the latest bid from Berlin to ease tensions with its largest trading partner and relaunch bilateral talks after a three-year hiatus during the pandemic. Now, Frank, you already highlighted de-risking but not decoupling. Scholz has said Germany must de-risk from China but not decouple, adding the normalization of U.S. U.S.-China relations would be beneficial for all G7 economies. Meanwhile, the Chinese premier is also set to meet with top German executives, including the CEOs of Mercedes, SAP and Siemens Energy. Chinese and German leaders are expected to discuss economic as well as technological cooperation amid the expansion of German cars and machinery in China. Frank. All right. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in London. Juliana, always great to see you. 
All right, let's stick with Germany just for a moment and get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. That's right. So Intel says it will spend more than $33 billion to develop two new chip factories in Germany as part of a larger European expansion. Now, one German chancellor, Olaf Scholz, calls the biggest foreign direct investment in Germany ever. And as part of the deal, Berlin is agreeing to subsidies worth north of $10 billion. That's more than the $7 billion initially reported. And in an overnight surprise move, Alibaba says it's replacing its longtime CEO, Daniel Zhang, with Eddie Wu, who currently serves as chairman of the company's Taobao and Tmall e-commerce divisions. Zhang will also be leaving his role as chairman of the board, being succeeded by Jack Ma, confidant, and Alibaba executive vice chairman Joe Tsai. And the unexpected departure comes after Alibaba announced a six-way restructuring. This is in an effort to boost growth at its individual divisions. And Adobe's $20 billion deal for Figment is now reportedly under the antitrust microscope in Europe. The Financial Times reporting that the tie-up is set to face a lengthy investigation into a deal that could potentially threaten competition in the digital design market. Now, you can hear more about this probe and more tomorrow when you speak with the head of the EU antitrust task force, Margaret Vestager, at 515 Eastern time, Frank. So yeah, something to look forward to. Certainly be an interesting conversation. Yeah, a lot of talk about EU regulation. A lot of people think the EU's ahead of the U.S. when it comes to regulation. Absolutely. Lots to cover. All right, Silvana, we'll see you later on the show. Okay. Thank you. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, despite a down day on Friday, stocks are doing something right now for the first time since 1997, and it's a good thing. Plus, a CNBC exclusive with the COO of Lockheed Martin live from the Paris Air Show. And later, we talk breaking barriers and glass ceilings for women and black Americans with one entrepreneur and U.S. Army veteran paving the way in more ways than one. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Investors kicking off the holiday shortened trading week with futures in the red. You're seeing the Dow down more than 125 points, the NASDAQ down a half a percent. However, the S&P, it's really been on a tear lately, officially entering bull market territory this month and notching its best start to a year since 1997, according to Charlie Biello. And according to Apollo Global Management, 
The Fed and quantitative easing, that's a key driver. Chief Economist Torsten Slock says this chart we're showing you right now shows the close relationship between QE and the S&P. He said, in part, the high correlation between Fed net QE and the S&P 500 suggests that Fed liquidity is a crucial driver of the stock market. Here to discuss, Ben Emmons, Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of Fixed Income at New Edge Wealth. Ben, great to see you. Morning, Frank. Great to be back. All right, so we want to follow up on that note from Apollo's chief economist. He added that a hawkish Fed could also lead to a big downturn in stocks. Saw a down day on Friday. We're seeing futures under pressure this morning. Do you think we may be starting to see the impact of this hawkish Fed? Maybe to an extent, Frank, you could argue that you could blow off the top, if you will, right? Meaning that you got to a pretty stretched stage here. You know, technology in particular, I think big tech looks overbought on those oscillators. And then maybe to that analysis on liquidity, we've had actually a good environment of liquidity, much more surprising than, than anybody thought. So if you get some withdrawal from that, either that technicality of the, the Treasury continue to build up that, that balance at the Fed, and or um, you get the Federal Reserve themselves being indeed hawkish and indicating not to stop quantitative tightening, there will be some adjustment here in the markets because it is right. There's definitely a liquidity environment that's driven it. On the other hand, we have an economy that continues to surprise us with resiliency. And I think that has been a bigger driver behind the stock market than that liquidity argument. So unless we're seeing a really bad print coming through, say, on jobs that comes up in the next uh, two weeks or other data, okay. I do think that it would just be topping out in the markets here. Okay. So you actually put out a note recently yourself. You say between July and September, you're going to see the Fed do a skip, a hop, and a pause. What does that mean for stocks during that time? And what sector do you see potentially having the biggest negative impact in the scenario that you're laying out? Yeah, the skip, hop, pause is the idea of that, you know, the Fed has now indicated to stay on hold for this meeting and then assess it again the next meeting. But if you, you know, and that means that probably July will potentially be this hike, but it is highly data dependent. If you then do get to a pause, then eventually it will be more, I think, of a, on the one hand, a broadening of the rally. You know, other okay. sectors that are undervalued to tech could outperform, say financial, say energy. They've really lacked, and that is part of the economy that maybe is really for other reasons that it has lacked and then just that liquidity argument. Okay. On the other hand, you have obviously technology that has run up so much, there's probably a bit too much of, a, of an AI drive behind it too much overbought conditions. Yeah, that's, I think a, in ben, the that's an argument we're going to have all day. I think everybody's trying to figure that part out. I want to get to one other thing, and I'm sorry to cut you off there. Something else no that's problem. lagging, China's recovery. So we just showed just a short time ago, cities cutting their GDP forecast for China, Goldman Sachs cutting their GDP forecast for China. A lot of the big banks are. The Fed getting more hawkish, China going to easing to try to boost their economy. Does that change any part of your broader investment thesis to see a, a slower recovery in China and China really making big moves to try to boost things over there? Yeah, during phases of their liquidity injection, there's actually been a positive, particularly for emerging markets. You know, that has actually been seen as a, an idea that you don't really get to a growth rate in China that's much lower than all those forecasters showing. They try to target 5.5%. But it is to be said, Frank, that yes, there is a slowdown in China that's more pronounced. So there is ultimately a negative impact on the global economy. On this. That, that we have to keep in mind. Right. But otherwise, the, the liquidity injection is, I, I think, short and positive. All right. We're seeing Asian equities kind of jump right now. But very quickly before we let you go, what's one U.S. sector you see being negatively impacted if China continues to have this slow recovery? 
Well, you know, trade between U.S. and China has been a huge driver of, of economic growth for both countries. So Blinken being out, uh, out there and discussing this with China again, having a dialogue, yeah, that's a good step. But right. I do think that slowdown in China in terms of the manufacturing sector in particular, that's affecting our manufacturing sector. All right, certainly something to watch. Ben Emmons, it is always great to see you. Thanks for being here. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, another bullish bet on Japan. As Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway boosts its bets on nearly half a dozen Japanese trading firms. We have all the details when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. CNBC released its inaugural Black Business Leadership Survey on Juneteenth. In that survey, nearly three-quarters of black executives in that survey of top black business leaders in America say their organization is making a positive change when it comes to hiring, retention, and support of black and diverse employees since the killing of George Floyd in the summer of 2020. This survey, in partnership with the Executive Leadership Council, was taken this month with 69% of respondents from large companies with 10,000 employees or more and nearly 60% in the C-suite or at the executive vice president level of their organization. There is a consensus. Progress has been made over the last three years, but many said there is still much more work to be done. Two-thirds of respondents said black employees were underrepresented in the top levels of management. 21% said they do not have any black representation in their leadership team and did not before 2020. There were also mixed opinions about the black talent pipeline. More than a third said their company did not prioritize hiring black employees at the top executive levels. A quarter said their company did not prioritize hiring black employees at the manager level. However, more than half said finding black talent for internships, entry-level jobs, and contractor positions is a priority. If you want to see the full story, you can go to CNBC.com. All right, let's talk about all this with a black leader in corporate America. Phyllis Newhouse is a 22-year Army veteran, the first woman to win an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award in technology, the first black woman to list a SPAC on the New York Stock Exchange, and she is currently the CEO of Extreme Solutions and nonprofit Shoulder Up. Phyllis, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Thank you for having me. And great to have you here. So you just heard some of the results from our survey. We did our inaugural Black Business Leader Survey. Three-quarters of executives say the climate in corporate America has gotten better for black employees, black managers, black leaders since George Floyd. Do you agree with that assessment? I, you know, I agree with it. I, I do. And I say that as a, as a successful entrepreneur, black female, you know, I understand there are challenges that uh, entrepreneurs face today with the economic climate and currently, you know, the headwinds that entrepreneurs have to navigate through, such as, you know, inflation, you got interest rate. Yeah, uh, the plunge that has happened with venture capital capital funding, and there are many more challenges. However, I believe that these challenges can also present opportunities to entrepreneurs who are willing to adapt and to innovate. And the reason I say that is because, uh, right, you know, right after COVID, you had a lot of entrepreneurs who really thrived during that time, but they were really willing to pivot and also to uh, to, to innovate in their industry. All right. So you're obviously in technology. We've seen a big boom when it comes to technology this year. 
most of it caused by AI, but it's also spread to cloud computing, enterprise software, cybersecurity. I know something that's in your wheelhouse. Give us a sense of what it's like to be an entrepreneur like yourself since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. We've been hearing that there's going to be a very uh, extreme credit crunch. Have you seen the signs of that already? Yeah, well, you know, absolutely. And one of the things I've seen, especially with women, because of the lack of funding and the lack of opportunities that women have always had, especially women of color getting funding, um, we've we've seen uh, a you know, the, the, that particular market just really stressed. And, and what I mean by that is that when you look at the number of women of color that get funding, that number has decreased since uh, the inflation and, and interest rates. And, and also, too, we're looking at alternative ways to get funding. So and, and what, what do I mean about alternative ways? You look at women entrepreneurs often fund other women-owned businesses. So if you're a successful entrepreneur, I would say this is a great market for investing, investing back into other women, especially, um, you know, when you look at in the tech space, such as AI. And if you look at the number of, of women of color that are entering into the AI and cybersecurity space, uh, we've had a 43 percent increase in the last two years. All right. Big jump there. And also, you're putting your money where your mouth is. You are the co-founder and CEO of Shoulder Up. That's a nonprofit you're doing with Viola Davis, where you support female entrepreneurs with both financial support and also just some of your wisdom and insight being an entrepreneur yourself. So I want to talk more specifically about your company. How have you seen your company impact in recent months? Not only have we seen the credit crunch that you mentioned, but also the fears of recession and rising rates. How does someone like yourself, how do you navigate that? How does it impact your ability to grow your business? Yeah, so I would say, um, fortunately, I'm in a space where, you know, cybersecurity is one of those businesses that, um, you know, you are either a company that's uh, been hacked before or a company that's probably on the radar. And, and, and so we've had tremendous growth in the industry as a whole um, uh, in cyber. But I will say that uh, the challenges that we face in this industry is talent. When we, when we look at the talent in the market, um, you know, COVID had a big impact on, on how we recruit today and how we are, 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 you know, scaling our talent pool. And one of the things that we're doing today is we're looking more towards universities, getting more minority students in particular to go into this industry, in this space, and to give them exposure to the space early on. And I would tell you that um, uh, with, we're partnering with HBCUs. We're looking at, you know, really um, giving them the exposure from high school so that, that, so that they know you know, what those opportunities are coming right out of college. And so we, we've, we've probably would say our biggest challenge has been where do we go for talent today when a market that's so competitive in the space? All right, Philip Newhouse, really great to have you here. We really appreciate your insight and just your time. And thank you for your service, not only to our military, but to help diverse and female entrepreneurs. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me, Frank. All right, time now for a news alert. Several reports say Carlos Ghosn, former head of Nissan, is suing the Japanese automaker for $1 billion over his firing and arrest for alleged financial misconduct in 2018. Bloomberg says the suit seeks $1 billion for deep damages to his finances and his reputation. Ghosn has denied the misconduct charge and fled to Lebanon in 2019. All right, let's get a check of this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the very latest. Philip, good morning.
Hey, Frank, good morning. The U.S. and Canadian Coast Guards are racing to avoid another tragedy at the site of the Titanic disaster. A submersible and the five people on board are still lost in the depths of the ocean. The small sub is owned by a company called Ocean Gate. They do research and they also offer tourist trips to the wreckage of the Titanic for $250,000. The sub was last heard from Sunday morning and it only has enough reserve oxygen for 96 hours. Another tornado touched down in Mississippi last night. The small town of Moss Point appears to have taken a direct hit. There have been no reports of serious injuries, but less than 24 hours earlier, someone was killed by another tornado in Mississippi. Finally, an onstage shock for BB Rexa and concert goers in New York City after the pop star was hit in the face by a cell phone that somebody threw from the audience. Rexa ended the show and was taken to the hospital. NYPD officers say a 27-year-old man from New Jersey was arrested and charged with assault over that incident. Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right, our Philip Mena live in New York. Philip, thank you very much. You got it. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, why Disney's Pixar it may be losing its magic after a dismal weekend box office debut and what could be a new headache for CEO Bob Iger. Much more on that when we return. Much more Worldwide Exchange back after the break. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Goldman Sachs now part of the growing chorus, cutting outlooks on the Chinese economic growth. But so far this year, investors are not deterred. On Wall Street, stocks facing early selling pressure after their first down day in six. Traders turning attention back on the Fed and two key earnings reports. Plus, moments away from a CNBC exclusive with the COO of Lockheed Martin live from the Paris Air Show. It is Tuesday, June the 20th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. We see futures are in the red across the board this morning after the markets came off of their first down day in six on Friday. We're seeing the Dow looks like it would open up about 130 points lower. Again, it is very early. The Nasdaq down just about a half a percent right now in the early trade. We're also looking at the bond market. Of course, we always start with the yield on the benchmark 10-year at 379 Pretty much in the same area we've seen it for the last week or so, still an elevated yield on the two-year note. And we also are looking at the energy market, specifically oil, looking at some upside moves when it comes to oil. WTI crude almost at 72 bucks a barrel, up almost a quarter of a percent this morning. Brent crude also up this morning, a one and a quarter percent, I should say, um, at about 77 bucks a barrel this morning. Natural gas also making some big moves to the upside, up almost two percent. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana? Hey, friend, good morning. Well, Berkshire Hathaway is raising its bets on Japan. Warren Buffett's firm is boosting stakes in five Japanese trading companies that Buffett first bought two years ago. Now, Berkshire's holdings in Mitsubishi, Mitsui, Itochu, Marubeni, and Sumitomo are now all above 8.5%. Berkshire says their combined value now considerably tops that of any other stocks it holds outside the United States. Masayoshi Sun says SoftBank is in position to win the AI race. That's thanks to its billions of dollars in tech investments. The SoftBank founder making his first public appearance in seven months at the company's annual shareholders meeting. Now, he says SoftBank won't be deterred by short-term losses and, quote, we will rule the world in the end. 
And a pair of blockbuster movies from two of Hollywood's biggest studios failed to spark audience interest over the four-day holiday weekend. Now, The Flash, that's from Warner Brothers Discovery's DC Universe, took in roughly $64 million in the U.S. and Canada, according to Comscore. The film cost about $200 million to make. Elemental, that's an animated rom-com from Disney's Pixar, made an estimated $33.3 million domestically. That's one of the worst openings in Pixar's history, Frank. I know I wait for the movies just to come up on the streaming service and watch them at home. You don't go to the movies at all anymore? Not really. I saw Flash over the weekend. I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but I went to, uh, this is what I, I wanted to see it, in the though. movies. All right. Well, I mean, that probably would be a good one to see, but I'm still going to watch it at home. Yeah. Big action movies <laughs> in the theater for me. All right. Silvana, thank you very much. All right. Turn our attention now to the Paris Air Show. It's in full swing with big commercial aircraft orders front and center this morning. Airbus securing the biggest aircraft order in history with a multi-billion dollar deal to sell 500 narrow-body planes to India's Indigo, which would more than double the current carrier fleet of 300 aircraft. Shares of Airbus this morning up a half a percent. Also on top of mind for investors and industry executives is the trillions of dollars in global military spending. With that, let's send it out to Phil LeBeau, joining me live from the Paris Air Show with a special guest. Phil? Hey, Frank. We bring in Frank St. John, Chief Operations Officer for Lockheed Martin. We were just talking about that this show is as much about defense and military spending as it is about commercial aviation. Give me some sense from your perspective, the growth we've seen in defense spending. How far out in the future do you believe this percentage growth annually continues? Well, hey, Phil, good morning. It's great to be here with you today at the Paris Air Show. And I would just say that what we've seen, especially in the last 16 months since the uh, invasion of Ukraine, is a steady increase in demand. Uh, not only here in, uh, in Europe, but also around the world. And we're starting to see contracts come in now that are going to see us ramping up our production rates over the next two to three years all across our portfolio. And we anticipate that maintaining for at least five years to come after that. You know, one of the questions, and you got some of these yesterday, were about the F-16 and whether or not NATO and the allies within NATO say, yes, we are going to send some of our F-16s over to assist Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine will have to train pilots. Where does Lockheed Martin sit within the framework of assisting Ukraine with pilot training, if that is, in fact, what a number of countries do? Right. So the issues of third-party transfer of F-16s and training of pilots and sustainment are all being worked out currently between the U.S. government, the government of Ukraine, and the countries that would be donating those aircraft. And once those requirements are defined, Lockheed Martin stands ready to modify aircraft, provide training solutions as we have for 16 other nations, provide sustainment of those platforms, and uh, as necessary, build new F-16s to backfill those that have been uh, donated. You mentioned about the production rates and how they're increasing. You're at a point right now with the Joint Strike Fighter where the next tranche is ready to be delivered. But at this point, the Defense Department says, you know what, we don't think the capabilities, at least they're not up to our standards yet, but that may change, let's say, six months, eight months down the road. How much does that pinch the cash flow near term for you? So as you know, Phil, F-35 is the world's dominant fighter, uh, 17 countries and growing. And we are currently delivering our Lot 14 aircraft, which are in what we call the TR-2 configuration. Those are going to deliver out about the middle of this year. The TR-3 configuration is currently in flight testing, and that is going to add significantly more processing, memory, display capability, 
for future mission equipment that is going to allow the F-35 to pace the threat well into the next decade. That flight testing is going to wrap up near the end of this year, and at that point we believe we're going to start delivering those aircraft uh, to the U.S. as well as our allies. We're ramping up to a peak rate of about 156 aircraft a year, and we think over the two-year span we're going to see just pretty much in line with our predictions relative to revenue, cash, cash flow, flow, and so forth. Quickly, I have to ask you, uh, production and manpower and sourcing, the supply chain, is it improving? Well, one of the lessons we've learned since the pandemic and also that's been exacerbated by the last 16 months is that we have a relatively fragile defense industrial base. And we've spent many decades making that as efficient as it could possibly be. Over the last year, we've started to make investments creating alternate sources, uh, becoming more resilient and more agile. And we're starting to see the supply chain come along and ramp up with us to meet the demand of the future. And uh, we're just very happy to be here at the show talking to some of those international suppliers that are going to be a part of this uh, more resilient uh, base going forward. It's improving. Yes, sir. Frank St. John, Chief Operations Officer from Lockheed Martin, joining us today here at the Paris Air Show. Frank, thank you very much. Thank you, Phil. Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right, Phil, thank you very much for that interview. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, China unveiling a third wave of economic support as its post-COVID recovery it struggles to maintain momentum. But is this latest easing action moving the needle for investors? We will ask that question to an expert coming up right after the break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the early trade in Europe and some of the headlines dominating the conversation on trading desks around the world. But first, we've got to take a look at U.S. futures. Take a look at futures. They've been in the red all morning. We've seen the Dow down about 125 points, the NASDAQ down about a half a percent as well. Continuing to see that trend right now, something to watch as we go into the beginning of the trading day. Remember, the market's coming off their first down day in six on Friday. And now over to our Juliana Tattlebaum. Actually, we're going to turn over to our morning call sheet. We're going to take a check over in Europe in just a minute. But first, we're going to check a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with Morgan Stanley upgrading U.S. foods to overweight from equal weight with a new $54 price target. Helping the bull case, according to Morgan Stanley, new management thinking, improving financial performance and a more favorable balance sheet. City also upgrading Philip Morris from hold to buy with a new $117 price target, saying in part investors are undervaluing the growth potential of its smoke free segment. Looking at shares of Philip Morris up almost one and a half percent. And one more from Morgan Stanley, upgrading Baidu, calling it the best AI play in China with an overweight rating and a new $100, $190 price target. Shares of Baidu flat in the early trade here in the U.S. All right. For the third time in a week, China is cutting a key lending rate in a bid to shore up the country's slowing economic recovery. The Shanghai Composite and the Hang Seng Index falling today and the yuan is weakening versus the dollar on that news. Chinese property stocks also falling with the Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index dropping 4% overnight, this is Citi and Goldman Sachs join a growing chorus of banks cutting their forecasts for China's GDP. Citi says China is on the brink of a confidence trap as the initial boost from the COVID reopening is fading. Let's get more insight now with Katrina L., senior economist at Moody Analytics. Katrina, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's talk about this easing first off. This easing is being described as targeted with the goal of stimulating housing and consumer spending. How effective do you believe this is going to be in the short term? And either way, what comes next? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So what we've seen over the past week is almost a wave of modest, and honestly, it has been modest monetary stimulus being unleashed. Uh, we saw today that the, the loan prime rate on the one-year and the five-year term was reduced by 10 basis points. Look, that's not going to change the status quo that um, you know, domestic demand isn't roaring back to the extent that policymakers and, you know, economic watchers would have liked when uh, China really abandoned its zero COVID policy. It was expected that we would see, um, you know, households, businesses really, um, you know, exuberantly spending and investing again, but that hasn't taken place. So what policymakers are needing to do is really release targeted stimulus to, um, you know, prevent uh that, that bearish sentiment that seems to be, um, you know, gaining traction from uh, taking hold further. So we do so, expect that we will see further fiscal stimulus. You, you mentioned we were expecting the consumer in China to start spending at a pretty rapid rate. Why haven't we seen it so far? What's going on in China that people don't want to spend? Yeah, it really does come down to sentiment. I think that, um, you know, the Chinese consumer was really burned by um, that ongoing, enduring zero COVID policy. And so now um, it's taking a little bit more help, a little more handholding from the government to, to get them back spending on services. And so we expect that there will be more support forthcoming from that fiscal point of view to help them get out there and spend again. You know, speaking of sentiment, we saw City downgrade its forecast for China GDP today. Goldman Sachs also doing the same consensus across the board. When we're looking at the big banks, about a half a percent of a downgrade when it comes to GDP forecast. How much of this is that slow COVID or post COVID recovery? And how much is it other global macro factors? China's obviously a big supplier to other countries and other regions all around the world, especially the U.S. and Europe. So what we did see was that when China did abandon its zero COVID policy, there was this almost post, uh, you know, euphoric um, situation that was quite unsustainable. And I think expectations are now kind of coming back to reality as well. I mean, we, we've maintained our GDP growth forecast of the, for this year at 5.4%, which is now about consensus. But initially, we were a bit more bearish uh, relative to consensus. And so I think, you know, what we're seeing is that if we do see that stimulus continue to come through, we should see domestic demand stabilize. But that important export channel is going to remain weak because, as you say, right. we do have those weak conditions in the U.S. and Europe. Let's bring a full circle to the U.S., if you wouldn't mind, as we continue to see this slow recovery in China even with the easing, what sectors in the U.S. do you see potentially the most impacted negatively? Yeah, that's a good question. So it, it kind of remains to be seen from that, that weak Chinese demand. I mean, there's strong manufacturing links. So I think that's an important channel of impact. I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's where a lot of this um, two-way trade between the U.S. and China does happen. So that's going to be an important factor to watch. All right, Katrina L of Moody Analytics, thank you so much for being here. All right. Now turning back to that check of the early trade over in Europe and some of the headlines dominating the conversation on trading desk all around the world. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with your global briefing. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, thanks for sticking with us. Let's get a check on markets. In the overnight trade, we saw a pullback in the Chinese markets. on mainland In mainland China, the Shanghai Composite pulled back about 0.5%. The Hang Seng, the real underperformer, down about 1.5%. Uh, 
China's support outlook, policy support outlook, firmly in focus, with economists thinking that the recent cuts by the People's Bank of China are too minor to have a major impact on the economy. So part of the downbeat sentiment we're seeing there. Meanwhile, flat trade in Japan, Nikkei 225, ending just six basis points higher. As for Europe, here's the picture at this hour. The majority of the European region is trading lower. The real underperformer this morning is the Zetra DAX. It's down six-tenths of a percent. Let's take a closer look at what's driving the losses from a sector perspective, you've got the chemical sector underperforming by a wide margin, down 1.85%. This driven by a profit warning from Lanxess. This is a German chemicals firm, which this morning uh, issued a profit warning to the market. Shares are down 16%. Both second quarter and full year results are estimated to come in well below market expectations. This on the back of what they say are, is very weak demand and continued customer destocking effects. They see particularly weak demand in the construction sector, electronics, and even the generally more stable consumer-related products. Now, on the flip side, we do have uh, one bright spot in the market, and that is Sanofi in the healthcare space. It's up 2.8%, the best performer in the stock 600. Sanofi has said that the International Chamber of Commerce has ruled in its favor and rejected claims by Boehringer Engelhelm related to an ongoing lawsuit in the U.S. linked to the heartburn drug Zantac, something we've covered for many, many, many months now. The decision is final and cannot be appealed. That is according to Sanofi. So a bright spot in what is other Otherwise, a pretty downbeat start to trade this morning. Frank? All right, Juliana Tatabom live in our London newsroom. Juliana, thank you again. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus why my next guest is putting Intel on his stock shopping list. We'll be right back after this break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. And a surprise move overnight. Alibaba says it's replacing longtime CEO Daniel Zhang with Eddie Wu, who currently serves as the chairman of the company's Taobao and Tmall e-commerce divisions. Intel says it will spend more than $33 billion to develop two new chip factories in Germany as part of a larger European expansion. One, the German chancellor calls the biggest foreign direct investment in Germany ever. U.S. lawmakers are urging Ford and General Motors to decrease their reliance on auto parts from China. That includes EV batteries. After Secretary of State Antony Blinken's rare visit to Beijing this weekend, failed to produce any major breakthroughs. Twitter kicking off meetings at Kion this week to review more brand safety and suitability providers as it looks to bring back advertisers to the platform and widen content controls. Several reports say Carlos Ghosn, former head of Nissan, is suing the Japanese automaker for $1 billion over his firing and arrest for alleged financial misconduct in 2018. Bloomberg says the suit seeks a billion dollars for deep damages to his finances and reputation. Gohan has denied the misconduct charge and fled to Lebanon in 2019. And Terraform Labs co-founder Do Kwan has been sentenced to four months in prison for attempting to travel with a forged passport. This in addition to an earlier fraud charges by the U.S. and South Korea. All right, getting ready for the week ahead. Today we get earnings from FedEx, which is often seen as a bellwether of economic activity. Fed Chair Jay Powell heads to Capitol Hill for his semi-annual testimony before the House Financial Services Committee tomorrow and the Senate Banking Committee on Thursday. And then also on Thursday, President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden will welcome India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi in his first official visit to the United States after nine years in office. All right, markets coming off a strong week with the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq posting their best weekly performances since March. But our next guest says he expects the rally to move stocks even higher. 
As investors look ahead to the third quarter, Jeff Kilberg is the founder and CEO of KKM Financial, as well as a CNBC contributor. And he joins me right now. Jeff, good morning. Great to see you as always. Good morning, Frank. Great to be here, pal. All right. So, Jeff, we saw a down day on Friday. We're seeing the, the futures under quite a bit of pressure this morning. What's giving you confidence that this rally is going to continue? Earlier in the show, we mentioned that Apollo put out a note saying that the Fed is the driver of this rally. And as it gets more hawkish, we could see a big downturn in stocks. No, that's a great point, Frank. And certainly we're going to have some apprehension, but we're going into quarter end. There's only nine trading days left in Q2. So I think you're going to see some underinvested money managers. You're going to see some chasing. But when you really look at the marketplace, it's moved so much higher than NASDAQ 100 up eight weeks in a row. So yes, you can argue that it's overbought. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines. The VIX is under 15. So I think this week is going to be fascinating because last week we did see a little more hawkish Fed, despite the fact that they pressed pause on their historic rate hiking campaign. And they try to insinuate that they're going to have two more quarter basis point uh, rate hikes without the end of the year. And no one believed it. Look at the 10-year note back under 3.8%. So I think there's a credibility issue, but I also think the market is walking away from rate cuts at the end of the year. But I think the pause is here to stick. That is going to provide some investor confidence. And at the quarter end, you're going to see some window dressing coming in the market. So Jeff, with all this bullish sentiment, what is your WEX word of the day? My WEX word of the day is chase. And I think you're going to see investors, as well as traders, chase this performance into the end of Q2. And yes, it does feel a little extended, a little frothy up here. I know we have some selling pressure. We had some profit taking last Friday. But at the end of the day, Frank, we're out of our range. We were tethered to 4,000 in the S&P 500. We are in the midst of a breakout. The market is moving higher. It did achieve 4,450, but there's more room to run. It's not going to be a straight line, Frank. Okay. I'm not the ultimate bull, but we are going to see markets move higher. <laughs> All right. So I are you chasing a little bit? I want to talk to you about your pick, which is Intel. Intel had some news today, um, spending $33 billion to develop two chip factories in Germany. I'm looking at the stock. It's up 20% over the last month. Some of that just over this AI fever that's hitting uh, chips and everything else. Why is that your pick right now after this huge run-up? Well, I think the AI undercurrent is certainly important. Intel has been a, a forgotten about stock. When you talk about the giant cap, the resurgence of giant cap, you look at some of the other names, specifically NVIDIA has been just a, a darling of a stock. But when you look at Intel, it almost became like a takeover target. When it went under $30, NVIDIA, after that last earnings, or that pop of 25%, they could have actually just bought $100 billion small little company, Intel, despite the fact they were the world's largest chip maker for quite some time. So I think Intel is a really fascinating name. We're also looking at FedEx today. You know, I think FedEx is also fascinating because it's really taken UPS to the woodshed on a year-to-day perspective. But if you look a little bit longer, Frank, both the UPS and FedEx on a three-year perspective are about neck and neck. But we want to own FedEx. We believe that's more of an essential company moving forward. But we're going to be waiting for those earnings after, after the market closes. Yeah, a lot of eyes on FedEx. I want to point out one thing. Forward PE of Intel, 120 times forward earnings. That's not too expensive? It's not too expensive. You know, it's interesting. When we talk about P ratios, we talk about percentages. The trader in me, which we really have to embrace, Frank, is price. Look at the price of Intel, where it was just three, three to five years ago. Okay. So I think that really puts a little bit of wind in the sail because I think people focus right. too much on percentage, not enough on price. Jeff Kilberg, always appreciate the wind in your sales. Thanks for being here. All right, that's going to do it for price. us here on Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.